Deloitte Private, offering audit, consulting, tax, and advisory professional services to allow private companies to address today's challenges and shape tomorrow's opportunities. Connect with us at Deloitte.com slash U.S. slash private. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. In 2008, I went to the annual expo for the geothermal sector in Reno, Nevada. There, I ran into an acquaintance, a geoscientist at one of the national labs. She told me she'd left the lab to join or co-found, I can't remember which, a startup that was going to extract lithium out of geothermal brines, to which my reply was, why? She said to catch the growth in electric vehicles. Huh, okay. Remember, it was 2008, right? There weren't a lot of people talking about electric cars back then. Side note, go check out BNF's Electric Vehicle Outlook, our forecast for this market out to 2040, published last week. It'll absolutely be worth your time. You can get it for a quick search for BNF Electric Vehicle Outlook. Anyway. The company was called Symbol Materials, and they said they had a new process for cheaper and more efficient lithium extraction. They got a demo going in the Salton Sea area of the California desert in 2014. Then, we're planning a big commercial-scale plant, and it stopped. It's unclear, but the word is they ran out of money. But then they got a letter from Elon Musk offering to buy Symbol for $325 million in Tesla stock, but the deal fell through. I'm not sure why. Symbol isn't around anymore. It looks like they were about 10 years too early. But it appears the company has been revived as a new startup called International Battery Metals. What's interesting about the story of Symbol is that it seems to illustrate most of what we'll talk about today. Interest from car and battery manufacturers securing additional and preferably local lithium supply. And from suppliers trying to catch the wave of growing demand for lithium. This week on the show, we've got Sharon Moustry, metals and mining analyst for BNF, here to tell us about unconventional lithium, what it is, and what to expect from it. Our discussion is based on a report titled, Unconventional Lithium, The Road to Supply Security. BNF users can get this report on BNF.com, the BNF mobile app, or the Bloomberg Terminal. As a reminder, BNF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and you can hear the full disclaimer at the end of the show. I'm Mark Taylor, and you're listening to Switched On, the BNF podcast. Sharon, thanks for joining. Thank you, Mark. Can you start us all the way back and just quickly tell us why is lithium important? Lithium is a key element that we need to make lithium-ion batteries, which today are the best technology that we have for energy storage. And we need that in order to make our transportation systems and our power systems cleaner. So if we want to decarbonize those systems, we're going to need a lot more lithium in the world. And the energy storage market's picking up, the electric vehicles market's picking up. So lithium's just going to become more and more important in that story, I assume. Yeah, exactly. There are some competing technologies, but so far there's nothing that has proven to be a real competitor with lithium-ion batteries. 
Oh, topic of another day, like the glass batteries or something like that. That sounds cool. We'll definitely do that. Can you tell us though, where do you find it? Most of lithium today is extracted roughly evenly split between rock deposits in Australia and brine deposits in Latin America, mostly Chile and Argentina today. That accounts for about 90% of lithium production today. There's a little bit more around the world, especially in China, but Chinese assets tend to be quite expensive because of their mineralogy, the way they're composed. They're mostly brine deposits in China, but they tend to have more contaminants that make them more expensive. Okay, so whether it's a brine deposit or a rock deposit, you have to pull up the resource and then pull out the lithium out of that. So that can be kind of expensive, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's exactly it. So the reason why brine in China is more expensive than brine in Latin America is because in Latin America, it's in this really, really arid landscape where there's almost no rainfall. And basically the process of extracting lithium is just putting it in a pond and waiting for the other stuff to evaporate. That means that you have very little input costs. For China, that's going to be a different story because they don't have as much solar radiation and the evaporation process will not be the same. Oh, wow. So really hot, high pond that evaporates and you're just left with some pretty great lithium. Yeah, it takes about a year and a half to two years for the whole process. It's really slow, but those are some of the cheapest assets we have today. So the electric car market, as we just saw this week, the, our electric vehicle outlook launching by 2040, when our forecast goes out to that market is going to grow quite a bit. And so is the stationary storage market for batteries. So that means we're going to need a lot more lithium. Is there a shortage? Is there a risk of shortage? Where are we at? Yeah, that's actually a really interesting question. A few months ago, it would have been a quick, easy answer. We're oversupplied. The reason why is because the lithium market got really excited for a huge spike in prices about two years ago. The suppliers added a ton of capacity and that led to an oversupply that has been happening for the last almost two years and prices have been coming down, making it harder to finance and add supply today. So now we see that with the impact of coronavirus, those finance troubles and those capacity additions might be delayed, causing a shortage in the midterm. Whereas in the beginning of the year, we were projecting the market to be comfortably supplied until 2030. Today, we see it might be a bit more of a rocky road. Okay. That's really interesting. So people were trying to chase a high price. So they built a bunch of assets in mostly what, Australia, Latin America, anywhere in particular? Australia and Latin America. They built too much. Now they're kind of paying for it. And I guess you're saying they're not willing to build any more. And that could lead to a shortage in the future. Exactly. Is that concern about the future where these unconventional resources come in? In part, the unconventional resources are an interesting set of resources because they are more geographically diverse. Of course, part of what the coronavirus has showed us is that if we concentrate our resources in just three countries, that's a huge risk to the rest of the supply chain. And it also means that if there's an interruption in Latin America or in China, there's no backup. So part of the reason why we want unconventional resources is not because they're unconventional, it's just 
just because they're closer to centers of demand like Europe and the US. That means that countries that are seeing electrification pick up quickly or that are pushing for electrification in their policies are going to want to secure supply. And that's a huge push for unconventional resources, both in North America and in the EU, where lithium is classified as a mineral of special importance. Beyond that, I think another really big push for unconventional resources came from technology developments, actually. So this was separated from supply and demand in the market in general. There's just been a lot of new companies, mostly startups, actually, which have been developing the technologies to extract lithium, especially for brine, in a faster and more efficient way. And once you do that, then unconventional deposits, which are usually harder to extract from because they have lower lithium concentrations, they become economically viable. So it's really a political and a technological story that's making these viable in the future. So let's go back and talk about what they are. So can you tell us about what the unconventional resources are? Yeah, for Bloomberg NEF, we classify the major groups into clay, geothermal brine, and oil field brine. What's common of all these resources is that they don't come from traditional deposits, which have usually higher lithium concentrations, lower contaminant concentrations, and therefore can use conventional extraction methods to get the lithium out of either the rock or the brine. For unconventional resources, it's going to take new technologies and it's also going to take new business models to make them economically viable. Why is that new business models? Well, for example, this is particularly salient for geothermal and oil field brines. Since they have such low concentrations, in order to make it economically viable to extract lithium, you usually have to partner with a company that already extracts the brine, but just doesn't extract the lithium from the brine. So a company that has been doing that in the US quite successfully now is Standard Lithium. They partnered with Lanxis, which has really big wells where they extract brine to get bromine out of. And now they're implementing a new process to extract lithium from it, but they don't have to incur all the drilling costs for the wells, all the extraction costs. They just add a new step. And that makes it a lot cheaper. Is the process proprietary? Why doesn't the other company just do it themselves? Yeah, so it is proprietary. And the tricky part about lithium is that it's not easy to use one process developed for one brine and in one location and apply it to another brine in a different location. So this this has actually taken years of iterations to refine the process and make it particularly successful in this brine, which is the oil field brine. In, it's near the Smackover Formation, so in the U.S. Where is that? The Smackover Formation is the, the oil field formation, which with highest lithium concentrations in the world. And it's in Arkansas in the U.S. It bleeds a little bit into Texas as well. That's really interesting. I remember I used to work with scientists that were studying geothermal technology, and this came up back in 2007 when I was last looking at it. I think it was Lawrence Berkeley National Lab that was doing a lot on this, pulling the lithium out of the geothermal brine. It's interesting to see that it's come not full circle yet. I think I was going to say that I think they were maybe 10 years early, but reading your notes saying you know that things are going to pick up a bit later, even from now, they could be even 10 years too early right now. I don't know. I think we'll wait and see there. 
Yeah, for geothermal, it's mostly California that's pushing this type of lithium. And they exactly in salt. And Salton Sea also has the highest lithium concentrations of geothermal brines recorded up to today in the entire world. So they're in a really unique position. And the California government has been very excited about this because it not only becomes a local source of lithium, but it also means that their geothermal plants, which sometimes struggle to get financed because they're so capex intensive, they're going to have another source of revenues to make this type of clean energy viable in the state. So it's really exciting for many reasons. I think Californians have been excited about it and cycled through the excitement as companies come, they try it out and fail. Now, a lot more companies are trying. And that's a sign of not only it being like a good idea, but maybe the technology is ready now. So potentially it'll come online, but it's still a few years away and it still requires us to try the technology and refine it, as I was saying, through a lot of iterations. It was interesting in your section on geothermal, I noticed there was a lot of the logos of the companies there. I remember from when I was looking at geothermal all those years ago, it sounds like they're evolving as companies or as a micro industry, I guess you could say, I don't know. When I saw this note, I thought, oh, this is so cool. This is really interesting to me personally because of my past life in geothermal. But I thought when I opened it up that it was going to say, okay, this is going to be huge, going to be a big thing. But then you say 5% of the lithium market by 2030. And I was like, oh, all right. Okay, it's a bit of a letdown, but let's put that into context. My assumption there is that the market for lithium is going to be a lot bigger in 2030. And so 5% in 2030 could be a fair bit today. Can you help us out with that? Yeah, exactly. So... 5% in, in 2030 would be huge today. It would require like like a, a decent amount of big projects to come online. That 5% actually is on the lower side of what could happen for unconventional lithium. And the reason why is because it's based on our lithium database, which only takes into account for our supply forecast projects that have reached feasibility. And for unconventional lithium today, that's only really clay projects in North America. So Actually, if we see standard lithium become successful with their demo plant in the US and other projects become successful, then all of those projects will add to that 5% and we'll include them in this forecast that we do for supply. But even then, that 5% out to 2030 is a pretty decent amount considering that most of the growth in the market today is coming from conventional resources that are really big in Australia and in Latin America and that can expand for relatively cheap because their production costs keep getting lower as as it expands. So it's just economically a no-brainer for them in many cases. The other side of it is that if lithium prices keep coming down, it might become really difficult for new projects, especially projects that require new technologies and a lot of testing to come online. So for example, with what we call petrolithium or lithium from oil field brines, in the note, we forecast that today, actually very, very few oil field brines would be economically viable because prices are so low. Who stands to benefit most from this growth in unconventional resources? I think actually the, the people who can benefit the most are auto manufacturers because it means that they will have supply closer to them and it'll be less risky to make contracts for lithium. 
it also means that potentially costs can go down because a lot of the transportation costs, the tariff costs, everything related to, you know, getting lithium all the way from China instead of California, if you're Tesla in Nevada, all of that will change. And they can potentially even invest in lithium assets that are closer to them because it's less risk. Have you seen that or are they taking more of a watch and see approach? It's more of a watch and see approach today. For lithium, since it became oversupplied quite quickly, since this whole electrification story came along, I think auto manufacturers are not as worried as for other metals like cobalt and nickel. But we have seen rumors from time to time where auto manufacturers say they're going to invest. For now, that's probably not their priority. So we don't think that'll happen soon. What's the next unconventional project to go online, do you think? For Clave, the most advanced project is the Sonora project from Bacanora in Mexico. They're pretty advanced in their construction, and we think they'll come online the soonest of all unconventional projects. After that, if you talk about oil field brines, it's probably going to be standard lithium. Actually, this week, like a few days ago, they fully commissioned their demo plant. And that means that if it's successful, it'll not only lead them to finance and invest the full plant that they're planning for a few years from now, but it'll also signal to the market that these like direct lithium extraction technologies are viable and that you can partner with companies and be more creative about how you extract lithium. So they have a lot riding on this demo plant. Yeah, it'll be a, a very cool part for innovation in the lithium market. Since for miners, innovation is not their strong suit. They'll go with the conventional, the tried and true. So to close this off, is there anything that was surprising or interesting that you'd like to dip into that we haven't yet? Yeah. So the main reason why we devoted our time to this research on unconventional resources that are still so new to the market and so risky potentially not coming online, is because we kept getting client questions, especially about lithium from oil field brines, which is a great story because oil companies could shift to lithium and produce lithium as well. However, a really surprising realization that came really early on in the research, actually, is that oil field brines are not viable, um, not because of technology, the technology might end up working. There's a few companies testing it and having good results, but rather because of the economics, because lithium prices have gone down so much in the last two years. So we think that petrolithium or, or lithium from oil field brines, and also relatedly from geothermal, might be more risky than than for clay. And that doesn't mean that we shouldn't invest in these technologies or in these resources. It just means that less of the global resources, global oil fields, global geothermal fields might be viable for lithium extraction. Another really interesting realization was actually the fact that North America has so many unconventional resources. And that means that if they were to rely only on conventional resources, they can't really supply their demand. But if they push for unconventional resources, they might become actually quite independent from other countries to source their lithium. And they could become an important focal point for the market. So it would be very interesting that as the auto manufacturers start to pick up, as demand starts to pick up for electric vehicles in the US, they're also able to source their 
lithium locally and therefore even reduce the emissions, the life cycle emissions related to electric vehicles, shorten the supply chain, reduce the risk for auto manufacturers, potentially even decrease prices, which are a huge cost component for batteries in cars. Okay, so North American clay could be the future, everybody. Sharon, thanks for coming in today. Thank you, Mark. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute, nor should it be construed as, investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording, and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze, and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.